Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Campionato di calcio italiano. Welcome to the latest Forza Italian Football podcast. Um, I hope you all have had a wonderful Easter, and if not, hopefully we can help it be a little bit better. Um, joining me in celebration of the weekend's Milan derby is Nicholas Carroll to represent the blue half of Milan. Nick, how are you? Uh, yeah, good. Uh, sorry, I've just got something going in my ears here, which is a bit annoying. Um, yeah, it's good to be here. As always, Connor, joining you. Um, bit of an odd week, really, considering Juventus and Napoli were the only clubs in the top half of the league that actually got a win. So I've got an interesting stat about the bottom teams too, but I'll come to that later, I guess. Okay. So, yeah, good to be here. Nice trip in Italy. Happy to be back. Just drinking some Milo. Let's talk some culture. And... Um, here for the purposes of one arguing with Nick and two representing the red half of Milan because we've been criticized recently for not doing so. It's someone that our older listeners will remember. Ogo Silla. Welcome along. Thank you, Connor. And I think you mean now the reborn red half of Milan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I will get there. Um, I suppose, right, let's just dive straight in. Nick, you were there. Um, inter. I think it's fair to say they dominated the first half, but then completely threw it away after going two goals up. Is that fair? Yeah, I think so. Um, on the balance of play, I thought into a quite strong um, with a few lapses in defence, obviously. But I didn't think Milan provided too much or anything significant in attack um, that caused a lot of sustained danger. Um, so... You know, with the probably Gerard Delefeo, I thought was um, was excellent for Milan. Um, quite isolated at times, but he seemed to just run, literally run around our defense, uh, Inter's defense on so many occasions. 
Um, but apart from that, I, I thought Inter had had the Milan attack quite um, under control for most of the match. Carlos Baca didn't really get involved. Um, Inter, yeah, I, I think just they looked more likely to score and obviously the goals did come. They were able to infiltrate the box a lot better. Um, I think both the goals were relatively fair on the balance of play and really it should have the game should have been seen off in the first half of the 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 first uh, 10 or so minutes of the second half when there was a few opportunities there that Inter could have got a third quite easily. Um, Ivan Perisic's um, chance comes to mind when uh, Icardi had set him up. So that should have been the game. And I guess the the big annoyance for a lot of Inter fans that I've seen that were kind of um, going on, on Twitter and everything like that was the fact that Pioli, Stefano Pioli decided uh, – he wanted to sit back and defend this two-goal lead. Took off João Mario, who had been quite strong, um, not only in going forward but actually putting pressure and regaining the ball. Um, put on Jason Murillo, had a five-man defence, and that seemed to – well, I mean, it did change the game. It basically intersat back and relied on a defence, and within three minutes the defensive line hadn't really set. Milan got a goal, and then – we just inter sorry couldn't just hold on for the for the remaining time and I think it showed a, a poor judgment and a, a lack of reading of the game by Pioli. So I think Inter fans have a lot of reason to be annoyed, but at the same time, Milan fans. I mean, I get. I guess you can be happy the fact that you know Inter should have won, but they still got a result. Yeah, about that. Actually, uh, but uh, before I, d- I do get onto that point, because I think you, you definitely do, you, you definitely are right about that. About that, and you raise a good one. Since you were actually there, uh, uh, you know, uh, in Milan at the derby, what was the atmosphere like? Because obviously, you know, a lot of mm. like a lot of the main vibes about recent derbies, because the two teams have been so poor recently, is that there's been little atmosphere. Uh, some of the derbies, there were very few. The attendances were not good at all, and. Do you think that now, since um, the announcement of the sale of Milan, that, I don't know, maybe there seems to be uh, more buoyancy about the city now and, and this rivalry, at least more hope that uh, this clash can um, uh, can be as it used to be? Yeah, I, I think so. I think, obviously, it was my first Milan derby actually in the stadium, so obviously I can't compare it to okay. there. But in saying that, you know, I mean, I've watched the Milan derbies for most of my life, and I, I do agree with you. There is a sense that, uh, you know, while while there's so much rivalry between those clubs and those supporter bases, I think it's all, there's almost a, a will from both sets of fans for for both the Milan clubs to both rise up again and be be the European giants that they once were. And I think you do kind of see that in the stadium, um, even though it was that strange kind of 12.30 kickoff for a Milan derby, which almost seems, um, yeah, seems quite crazy for such a big match to be at that time. But even so, at a midday kickoff, the atmosphere was absolutely incredible. Both sets of fans were um, showed up, uh, filled the stands and, were non-stop for the 90 minute or 97 minutes, I should say. Um, yeah, we're non-stop and great atmosphere. And um, yeah, but, I mean, I, consider, considering how the clubs are going, you know, you, you have to kind of give it to the fans that, you know, they are still out there and can still support them for games like this. 
Definitely. But uh, to, to certainly get back to, to your earlier point about the uh, Milan fans and that they should be content with the with the draw. I think you know, despite my earlier quip about the, the renewed red half of the city, you know, it is it, it still remains uh, uh, a Milan side that has lots of ways to go, and I think uh, that first half showed that. But um, they 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 managed to pull up. You know, a really good fight back. This is this is the second time this season they've come back from from uh, from two goals down. Uh, they they uh, they reversed uh, Sassuolo earlier in, in in the season, and uh, they got a point out of, out of Torino after going down to, uh, by two goals. So this Milan side, you know, at least shows fight, shows mm. kind of uh, the character to get back into into the game. And in a way, that's a good thing. But at the same time, it also shows how much standards have come down in the city that fans would be content or something like that. So, yes, you know, everyone is very excited that uh, the stale has gone through. Uh, I think that a loss in the derby would have deflated things in a way. Um, but the fact that it didn't and the fact that you win at the very last minute, you know, there's, there's, a, very, there's a weird psychological effect about the last minute goal in that, you're snatching something out of a game that you didn't have anything in. So it almost feels like a win. At least that's, that's really what I, you know, uh, what I recall some people, some of my friends saying on Twitter that this draw feels like a win. So yeah, it, it was, it was a good result because of the character of the second half performance from, from Milan, but there's still a lot, lots of ways to go. Yeah. One, one thing I will agree with you with the AC Milan team is that despite the likes of an Inter Milan spending so much more than them, despite, I mean, on paper, considerably less talent, I guess you could say, you know, with all due respect to their players. And despite the injuries that they've had this season, I mean, they're still in a position that's above Inter. And as you say, they they can often fight back from losing position. So character-wise, I mean, if you compare them to Inter, there's, there is no comparison because character-wise, and attitude-wise, it's it's so much more than the Inter players who are supposed to have so much more talent uh, providing. Um, but on the on the on the other side, I would ask you, Ogo, what you thought. You know, obviously they they did fight back, but do you think it was more Milan fighting back, or do you think it was more Inter kind of inviting Milan back into the game? Because it to me, it seemed like if Pioli kept Inter in that same formation and playing the same game, I, I'm not sure Milan would have got near to a comeback. No, I definitely agree with you. Uh, I think uh, this was definitely more Inter losing the game <laughs> than uh, than Milan, you know, kind of fight. You know, it's, it's, it's what I, you know, it's exactly what I said. Um, last minute goals have weird effects on how we end up analyzing games and mm. if you try to focus too much on just the result without looking at the context of it you you it ends up leading you to 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 to, to an erroneous analysis of, of what actually happened you know it's the same thing with what happened you know in the champions league come back with Barcelona against PSG. It was a lot more PSG losing that game than Barcelona winning it, you know, mm. let's be honest. And, you know, even and in this game, of course, you know, a game of much, much lesser magnitude, evidently. <laughs> uh, it was it was a little bit of that, at least that that's the impression I got. Mm. Ogo, we brought you on to give some positive looks at Milan because me and Nick aren't really the right people to be talking overly <laughs> positively about the Rossoneri. But if we could talk about Montella for a minute, do you think he is the right man? I saw a lot of talk about him on Twitter afterwards and 
a few people were saying that no matter what happens this summer, the important thing is that they keep hold of him. What are your thoughts on that? I think if there's one uh, veritable, you know, obvious positive about this Milan side, it is the coach. I think Montella is the man for the situation. I think Milan are quite lucky, uh, uh, you know, given their situation right now, that uh, that that a coach, you know, who's 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 considered a very up and coming coach, who's considered uh, to have a future, you know, uh, in Syria as a, as a tactical mind that that's going to count. Uh, for him to take the risk uh, of Milan uh, after you know the, uh, what happened with Sampdoria, I think it was a big gamble on uh, uh, on Montella's part because you know Milan recently since uh, since sacking Massimo Allegri have had a very bad habit of burning out coaches. So the fact that you know, every time I look at uh, Milan's positioning and some of the performances, sure they're they're not very consistent ones, but when I look at some of the performances, some of the style of play, I mean you have to say that Montella is working minor miracles with the team he has right now. Yeah, um, I suppose just to stick with Milan, but to move more towards off the field things, they were finally sold. Um, Silvio Berlusconi is no longer in charge there. We had a piece up on ForzaItalianFootball.com looking at what we should really expect from them going forward now. But as a Milan fan, Ogo, what are you looking for this summer um, in terms of signings? What are realistic expectations? Uh, that's very difficult uh, because, well, uh, to put it into context, right? My recent, my uh, uh, past um, realistic expectations after Milan's last Scudetto was that within five years or so, the team would somewhat uh, get to a reasonable standing. The last title was some ways away. And in those, in those interim years, the club has been in standstill and to some, arguably regressed. <laughs> so for me now to sit and say that, oh, well, give it five years and we'll be fine, uh, would be, yeah, it just would be a very serious statement for me to make. Um, in terms of, I think, what the team certainly needs um, before, but before everything is to have an, a structure. Um, once, one thing that Bolosconi did do very well, you know, and this was very lacking in his uh, um, in, in his final years. Is that the club hierarchy seemed less defined? The roles of people seemed a, a little bit more um, a little more blurry. Uh, and I think with the new owners, there needs to be a very set hierarchy with the sporting director. Who does you know? Who works as a sporting director with uh, you know uh, the coach? Who does the coaching? And just for every single echelon at the club that you know does their job, and for also for a president to uh, to be a president, that is to say, to back as coach and uh, not interfere. What that means is that you know sometimes it's. When uh, when we talk about big money uh, acquisitions from new owners, then new players come in. Let's assume new players do come in. Players with higher statuses, players with uh, with with more pulling power. Uh, these players have to come in and accept the project. They cannot just be allowed to come in and given full reign to the club. You know, this is this was a mistake that PSG made with with Ibrahimovic for some re- for, uh, for for instance where he was a very big personality. The president had very close ties with him and 
the the coach was eclipsed. And I think in your hierarchy's job is to make sure to tell the coach, I am behind you, I am the boss, and I will back you for the decisions you will make. I think that's that that's the biggest thing I'm expecting and I'm waiting for from the from the following hierarchy. Well someone the, I've seen the hierarchy. Someone that I've seen them linked with is a player who has experience at the club, so he would know what AC Milan are all about. But I want to know how likely you think it is that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang will be signing for Milan this summer. Uh, I don't think that's likely at all, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> he's, he's been on record many times saying uh, he's quite fond of Spain, and that's his preferred move. Now, are there other spots going to be available for him to go to play in Spain? That's a different story altogether. Will he come back to Milan? Uh, honestly, um, is the club even going to be putting up that money for him? I- I'm not sure. The thing is that whenever new ownership comes in the club, uh, fans, uh, I guess maybe, uh, I don't know. They, they, they ex- yeah, they get carried away and expect you know people to be dropping hundred million dollar, uh, uh, hundred million euro bids, you know, like le- left, right, and center. And I don't think that. Uh, uh, we sh- uh, uh, Milan fans should have these expectations. Of course, you never know what ha- uh, what's going to happen. Obviously, but you know, if I had to bet my mortgage on it, I would say no. Pierre Emerick <laughs> is not coming back to the San Siro. Right, I'm glad you said it, and not me and Nick, because we'll probably get away with it that way. But Nick, um, just before we leave the derby, you wrote quite a scathing piece on Stefano Pioli, which will be going up on the website tomorrow morning. Um, you seem to think it's his last derby, right? Yeah, I've, I've, I think so. I can't see it into staying with him for next season. Um, you know, I, I think scathing may be a bit dramatic, but... Um, I'm it, the only person that's read it, so we'll let the <laughs> listeners decide. No, I mean, I, I wasn't... It, the point of the piece, I guess, wasn't to criticise Pioli, but rather to criticise where the club's found itself in terms of um, the managerial position. Um, you know, I... I don't think, I guess I just find Pioli to be, to have shown his limitations, particularly in the last couple of weeks. Um, and it, it's at the stage where either, whatever Inter does, I mean, the most likely kind of successor long-term seems to still be Diego Simeone, if that does happen with Atletico Madrid, which is still hearsay. But if that is to happen, which looks likely for 2018 and not earlier, then there's the whole issue of what does Inter do in the meantime? Does it continue with a coach like Pioli, who is has a limited capacity to take Inter to the next level and is going to provide games like against AC Milan where Inter should be winning but aren't getting the right results and possibly put a, you know a Champions League for the next season in jeopardy? Um, or do they find a new coach for just one season, um, you know, which would be, what, the 10th coach since Mourinho, Jose Mourinho, and then with a view to, again, changing to Simeone. So to me, it's, it, it doesn't seem like a right move for Inter to make with the managerial positions if, if Simeone is going to be the future. So it's just kind of covering that. And, um, yeah, it's 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 not a, a good position to be in, which I guess comes back to why I was so um, angered as an as an Inter fan when Deboer was sacked after, what, 85 days. I mean, let's assume that, you know, um, uh, let's assume 
Diego Simino doesn't make it. Uh, you know, he like he chooses another club and goes mm. somewhere else. I mean, like you mentioned, since since Jose Mourinho, Inter have gone through a lot of coaches, mm-hmm. and I guess even since before Jose Mourinho, they've gone through a lot of coaches. I mean, uh, you know. Yes, there will always be a name out there, but surely they're running out of people to hire. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like that. Um, I think we've yeah we've kind of gone through everyone that's has a name in the in the ranks. Um, yeah, it's you know I'm it, it's it just seems really crazy the fact that the, the club hierarchy and you. It's funny that you speak about the club hierarchy and everything that what Milan needs to deal with is new owners. Um, which is basically do exactly what Inter hasn't done and, you know, the, the whole mess that's going on with their hierarchy, I mean, to the point where the, no one knows who's making what decision. Um, so that's kind of 101 on what not to do um, with some new owners. But the fact that, you know, whoever is making these decisions, uh, you know, are, are giving such short-term time for these coaches but yet still expecting some kind of consistency and continuity on the field it's i mean it's it's just never going to happen is it so it's it's that i guess where a lot of frustration comes from and why inter is in this position now you know it's it's not surprising when you're considering i mean ninth coach at the moment stefano pioli ninth coach since jose Mourinho. that's insane that's you know what, what, what kind of consistency comments coming in now and they're kind of a bit mixed as well one person says sure left sack another coach it's year zero all over again and then another saying what's the point in keeping Pioli so there is very much that divide out there as well exactly there's, you, there's no there's no right move in my opinion like either way it's not a good move but this is where the club has got itself into it's it's dug itself a hole but I think definitely that the flux of uh, you know is Diego Simeone going to make it uh, as inter coach in 2018 or not, I think is also making the decision a lot more complicated yeah. because like you say, you know, do you just keep purely as interim or do you just get somebody else to be the interim <laughs> until <laughs> Diego Simeone yeah. comes in? It's a, it's yeah, it's those all those very tough decisions to make. And almost, I feel like as a default, keep purely as long as he has the backing of the dressing room. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't see why sack him if as long as uh, he's able to stay within reach of uh, uh you know of a europa league spot and have an outside shot of getting to to the champions league spots then then that's fine because l- let's remember um the champions league there will be four spots for the champions league for Serie A coming up quite soon so that's that's something that's very important to to, to consider so it might not be a bad idea to gamble on just um uh uh, the consistency of, of uh, not the consistency, the the stability of uh, of, keep, of of purely for the time being, and just kind of like you know just bite the bullet, uh, hope he can get you at least a fourth place, and then you know if Simeone is ready and you can get him, then you know move on there. Yeah, to, that's completely fair. And to be honest, if you know while I while I believe he does have the limitations and he he's not the right person to take Inter to an, a next level. If it was my choice, I'd personally probably keep him on purely because, as you said, um, there's um, there's that continuity there that Inter simply hasn't had. And, you know, while he has, he initially brought some good results, you know, there was that seven-match winning streak, but 
you look at those seven matches that he won in a row and six of those were from bottom half teams. So, you know, when you, Lazio being the only exception. So, yeah, anyway, um, if you want to read more on Purely, be sure to uh, have a look at my piece on FIF. Yeah, that will be going up live tomorrow morning. I'll get that edited and scheduled as soon as we finish here. But I think we've put the listeners through enough Derby della Madonina chat. We're going to move on now to Roma 1, Atalanta 1. It's just the second time this season the Gialarossi have failed to win at home. And it leaves them now two points ahead of Napoli because they, of course, won simply at, at home to Udinese. Um, Ogo, what are your thoughts on Roma this year? Um, now two points ahead of Napoli, as we said. They should be able to see it out, shouldn't they? <laughs> they should. Uh, but uh, I guess my thoughts on Roma are the same as they'd been maybe last year or the year before. Is that They always promise so big, uh, but they fail to deliver in the end. And that's not even necessarily like a reasonably new thing about Roma, to be honest. But uh, yeah, it's every time they start out so well, you think, oh, this is the year when they can actually challenge and or even not even, even maybe not challenge for Scudetto, but just, you know, make it very interesting for quite some time. And But they falter by having, uh, with matches such as these, you know, when they, where they draw when you don't expect them to or, or where they lose even at times. And I don't know. I, I think Spalletti, I, I think Spalletti is a great coach, honestly, for, for Roma. At first, I really wasn't convinced, uh, but he's proved me wrong and I really like what he's been doing with the team. Uh, and I think this year it has been less about just a tactical issue, but I think it's been more a physical issue. Just the, the, the team really just seems tired to me. I, I don't know if you agree or if you agree or not, Nick. But yeah, I just think that they've suffered from the accumulation of games this year, and um, just Spalletti putting, I think, a lot of pressure on himself. You know, saying that if I don't win a trophy, I'll leave, and kind of making the same mistake that uh, uh, that Rudy Garcia made when he when he went at Roma is just overpromised and then ultimately underdelivering. Yeah, that was something that we kind of picked up on a few weeks ago. I think it was just after they fell out of the Europa League. We noticed Rajan Angelon in particular, his form kind of slipped a little bit and he looked very leggy. But Nick, did you want to jump in there on what Ogo was saying? Yeah, I mean, pr- pretty much exactly how Ogo said. Um, I, you know, I've, I guess if, for any listeners on a weekly basis, you know, when, when it's come up, I've often favoured Napoli as a, as a team this season over Roma. And to be honest, I still do uh, on the run home, considering um, I think I was looking, where was it? Um, Napoli play one of the top seven teams in the run home and Roma play three of them. So, um, you know, the, it's it's kind of there for Napoli to take, I think. I, and because because Roma has the tendency to just drop at times. And, you know, and that's not to take away from, I guess, what Spalletti's done because I think I think they can look at this season and still say that they have they have improved. They've been more consistent than they have for a number of seasons, I think. So there's a lot of positives to take. You know, it hasn't been a perfect season by any means, um, particularly with the whole Champions League debacle, I guess. Um, it's it's those odd games that Roma just seem to just lose their heads, which is their big problem. And as you said, I think there is a, a bit of that kind of tiredness. And when you see the likes of Rajan Angalan, who was dominating, you know, week to week, 
and you know started to as you i think mentioned kind of slip uh for a few selling a little or a lot shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today games it just wasn't quite there I think you know it is a bit of fatigue which is fair enough so you know I, I still think that they're, they're in a reasonably fair position I don't think it's too bad for them and yeah it build for next year season Ogo, you wanted to touch on Roma before we moved on to Atalanta yeah yeah sure sure yeah, right if, if I could I'd just also like to say I, I like to just kind of like specify that I think like you, uh, Nick, I think Roma are having a super season. Uh, well, maybe not super, but they're having a very good season as they had had in previous seasons. But I think definitely over the last couple of years, you've had a Juventus team and you've had a Napoli team who have been who have had really, truly outstanding seasons. And I think that's what's really been preventing Roma from kind of making that breakthrough and uh, delivering on their promises. And, you know, even though we, we talked about those small games where they struggle, it's also in those big head-to-head games against Napoli and Juventus where they can't kind of like, you know, uh, where they can't climb that step. But that's, that's also because those two teams have been outstanding over the last, uh, over the last uh, 24 months. Okay. Well, on the other side, Atalanta, they've, We've talked about them plenty on this podcast this year, but they're having a brilliant season. Ogo, obviously you've not been on, so you've not got the chance to speak about them. I'd be keen to get your thoughts. They're still fifth, two points ahead of Milan and four ahead of Inter. And even more remarkably, they're just one point behind Lazio and fourth. Um, If we look at their remaining games, they've got Bologna, Juve, Udinese, Milan, Empoli and Chievo. Surely the European place is theirs to lose now. 
Yeah, absolutely. I've been uh, trying to stay away from the uh, Atalanta loving in your presence. You know, I already I already see enough of that on Twitter. So, <laughs> but more so- this one year, please. <laughs> no, absolutely. Like you said, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't take away this year. They've been having a truly amazing, amazing season, and um, I'm sure, as you might have suspected, and as I guess many people might have suspected, I certainly did not think that they would be able to maintain this uh, uh, this cadence and this rhythm. Uh, and I would like, yeah, I think uh, the European spots are theirs because I think um, the the teams behind them are just not consistent enough, and um, they're they're just showing that that they're better. They're showing that they had the team who wanted. They had the team uh, that uh, that's that's engendered a good a good kind of positive dynamic. And you know, towards the end of the, it's not like there are many games to be uh, left to left to play. So you know. To imagine a slip up that would allow the others to leapfrog them, I think is unlikely. So yeah, I think definitely you can start popping a champagne and those European spots of Atalanta. I think I'll hold off on opening any champagne bottles just yet, but I'm actually going to that game against Milan next month in Bergamo. And if they don't lose then and they're still in the European places, then the champagne will be flowing throughout the night. Trust me on that one. Yeah. <laughs> One point Nick has made several times throughout this year, I know he doesn't want to speak about it now, but sure, we'll leave him to it, is that they're such a good group. And this week we saw Barisha was out, Gomez was out, and Spinazzola was out. And they still did the job and got a point. But I won't bore you guys anymore. We'll move on to Napoli 3, Udinese 0. Um, won't spend too long here. It was pretty much a routine win. Mertens, Alan, and Callihan scored. Um, Nick, we know what you think of Napoli, so I'll go, I'll go to you again. Uh, what are your thoughts on Napoli's season as a whole? Is this a successful year for them or another miss? I think <laughs> I'm really curious to hear Nick's thoughts about this now. <laughs> but uh, I, I think um, I, I think you're being very harsh by calling it another miss. I think even last season was an outstanding season for Napoli. Yes, they lost it uh, in, uh, in somewhat inconceivable manners that uh, that Juventus was able to reel in the entire competition and and take the scudetto but if you just just on purely statistical uh, you know statistical point just napoli the consistencies the way they the way they play the performances uh, the way they roll over some teams you know, the, the way they roll over many teams i think it's outstanding you know they they had a, a rec- they got a record breaking season from gonzalo higuain uh, last year he left this summer milik came in he was scoring goals milik was out and he managed to turn kaihon into a viable striker option you know very, very lazily, I called it a, a false number nine early on. But when you actually look at the way Kai, uh, not Kai Hon, I'm sorry, um, uh, the way Mertens mm-hmm. plays, uh, he actually plays like a legitimate number nine center forward, just with the runs he makes. He just happens to be very small, <laughs> but yeah, he's he's very effective. And uh, I think what Sari Sari is a very underrated coach. Obviously, not in Italy, but I think a lot of other you know, watchers of European football are not really quite aware of the Napoli team. And the Champions League is good exposure for them. It's good exposure for their players. And I think it's a very good exposure exposure for Sari, who is one of the great, I think, keenest minds uh, in, in European football when it comes to coaching. I think, yeah, Napoli are having, again, this year, an outstanding season. That That's my opinion. Yeah, so Nick, if one of the big things for Milan this summer is to keep hold of Montella is it equally, if not more important for Napoli to keep hold of Sarri? Yeah, um, 100%. I, th- I think 
the same as their their star players. I guess the, there is there is that structure, that framework there that that can the potential for that team to to achieve is incredible. So you know, I've spoken about it many times. Um, this Napoli team and Sari obviously has masterminded a lot of that. I mean, they had they had kind of come up in Serie A before that um, under previous managers, but they'd never really reached that level where. I mean, last season they were they were neck and neck with Juventus, moving so far, you know, towards the end of the season. Obviously, uh, losing it towards the end and dropping off. But yeah, I, you know, Sari, but also you know the likes of Hamsik, um, you know, Mertens to an extent, but more so probably Lorenzo Insigne, all of those players, um, and then for the future, Diawara, Rog. There's, there's a, you know, there's a, there's a great structure playing group there that could do some amazing things in Europe over the next five years if they all stay together. So, and I can't really see anyone who's going to get the most out of them at the moment than Sari would. Uh-huh. Yeah, I would just say just one criticism of Sari. I think uh, many Napoli fans might agree with that is that he's very over reliant on his uh, on his starting eleven. Yes, they they're very good players, obviously, and they get the job done. But he always sense that he has hesitations to to to, to rotate. Uh, and um, you know, I think it was the case with Gabbiadini, for instance. I think he suffered a lot, and that's kind of what makes me sad about seeing. Um, uh, how he's been able to turn emergence into a, into a viable striking option is that I, f- I always felt like he wasn't patient enough and he put in as much effort to do so with Gabbiadini. But yeah, that's yeah, that, that's kind of my opinion. Uh, I think maybe Sari could use uh, to have more trust in the rest of his squad rather than just his eleven. Yeah, well, I mean, you look at Pavoletti now. You've barely seen him play any minutes since he's come onto the frame. He's just been sitting on that bench and. I mean, he was, you know, he was a favourite of Vieri, a friend of ours on FIF. Um, some of you might know. So it, it's completely true. So, um, you know, there, there is always the chance that injuries or anything could have a big effect. And I guess to an extent, the, the injury to Milik did have that for a temporary time um, after obviously losing Higuain. But, yeah. Yeah, well, you mentioned losing Higuain. One of the amazing things about Napoli is how they replaced them. You've both touched on it, but... Napoli are the only side in the top five European leagues who have seen 10 goals or more scored by four different players, which shows how well the group has just gathered together to replace this obvious goal-scoring threat, really. Um, We're going to lighten the mood a little bit now uh, by talking about one of the pod favourites. We've been asked to speak about them a little bit more. It's Fiorentina. Um, They lost to Empoli. Nick, that's a bit embarrassing, isn't it? Uh yeah, poor the poor Fiorentina fans. <laughs> I for for anyone listening out there, I do really feel for you. That's that's tough. I think Empoli had won only one previous away match all season, and that was um, at Pescara. Uh, they scored two goals against Fiorentina. They had scored a combined two goals in their last nine away matches in Serie A. Um, I don't mean to rub it in, but. <laughs> you're doing a good job <laughs> it's just it's just like it's it kind of characterizes their season almost just um frustrating frustrating because because there is something in that team you know I, it's you know particularly after i think 
the biggest frustration for the Viola fans is after what they did last season, there was a lot of hope and what this team might be able to achieve and, you know, match it again with the top in Serie A. But, and they really fell in the second half of last season and haven't come back up since that. In saying that, um, sorry, did you have questions or did you want me to just keep talking? <laughs> just general chat about Fiorentina. Um, we kind of have spoken about them a bit and maybe something they're missing is a bit of a, a leader. Their former captain, Pascal, scored the winner from the penalty spot. Ogo, um, me and Nick have laughed at Fiorentina a hundred times this season, and maybe harshly, but what are your thoughts on La Viola and where do they need to go from here? Uh, you mentioned that you think they're missing a leader. I think they're missing a coach. Uh, it's it's very harsh, you know, here. Uh, like you mentioned, Nick, just last season, when, you know, when they went top of the league since, you know, for the first time in, like, in Donkey's years, um, it seemed like, you know, they were on the up. This is going to be a really good season for Fiorentina. They might even be challenging for the Scudetto. Or if not, at the very least, get a Champions League spot, a Champions League qualifying spot. But that didn't happen. They just nosedived since then. And there was the whole issue about Paulo Souza. Will he stay? Will he go? Um, uh, does the club trust him? Does the club not trust him? And I think that really kind of... Um, uh, that really kind of affected uh, his his legitimacy within the club, and uh, the team is suffering from that. You know, you can't you can't have uh, you can't have sheep without the herder, and I think that's what uh, uh, Fiorentina is missing today. I think just the coach seems like a very weak figure at the club currently, and uh, if that's the case, then it's very difficult for, for, for him to rally players around around an objective. And, you know, you would even argue uh, today or even in the recent four or five seasons, what has been the objective of Fiorentina. What has the what has been the objective of the Fiorentina direction, the presence? What do they want out of this club in Syria? I think I think that's a really big issue. Yeah, Ogo, one of the comments that's come in is from Sulfuria Zuma. Sorry if I've got your name completely wrong, but do you think that the blame there should lie with the club rather than with Sousa then? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's exactly what what I was just referring to here. Uh, I think the club has to decide what they want to be. Do they want to be a Europa League contender? Do they want to be, you know, like do they want to be a Sevilla of Serie A? There's absolutely absolutely no shame in doing that. You know, Serie A have have won three back to back Europa League titles. I think Fiorentina fans will be very happy with that. You know, uh, do they do they want to aim higher, which obviously will be very difficult, you know, given the the current state, or do or do they want something less than that? But it's something that you need to be clear with and honest with with your supporters. Otherwise, that's when pressure starts getting cranked up, and that's when it becomes very difficult to handle the environment. Yeah, it's, um, I completely agree with what Ogo said. I guess the thing that I think really frustrates the the fans is that there is something in that team there is something there I, I really believe that I mean they know how to I mean they can they can hold on to the ball almost better than anyone else in Serie A probably Napoli is only the best at doing that it's doing something with the ball that they struggle and obviously they do have some deficiencies in their defense but there is something there and I 
Paulo Sosa, I don't, I don't think he's a bad coach, but I just don't think he has the ability to get that out of this team. And I think someone like Ben Eusebio Di Francesco, who can, who has shown his ability to to build a team. And Connor, we talk about a team so often, and what he did, what he's done with Sassuolo and bringing up a, a number of youth players, I think, could really, could really help a, t- a team like Fiorentina with. The likes of uh, um, Bernardeschi um, and Chiesa, who's come up this season, um, they've got a they've got a good base there. I mean, their attack could be the you know one of the best attacks in Serie A in you know in another five years with Sapanara in there if it really comes together. I mean, there's a lot of potential there. It's just as I guess following following on from what Ogo said, it's just I guess setting a, a long-term strategy and then getting a coach in that's going to fulfill that for a long time. And I think someone like a Di Francesco can follow a long-term plan and, um, yeah, achieve some objectives for that club. It's just a matter of what those objectives are going to be, as I've said. Yeah, I think that'll do it for Fiorentina and for Serie A. Um, but those Fiorentina fans that do listen, get in touch and answer Ogo's question, what do you actually want your club to be in Serie A? Um, do you want to be Sevilla or do you want a little bit more than that? Um, we'll move on to the Champions League now where Juventus play in Barcelona on Wednesday. They're 3-0 up from the first leg and Ogo, surely they can't throw this away like PSG did. Oh, no, I think it's very insulting to even compare them to PSG. I mean, there is absolutely no way you've, you, Juventus will uh, will throw this away. PSG, I mean, they're oh, PSG. Uh, the Juventus, <laughs> big fan, big fan. <laughs> Juventus have so many more leaders, so much more character, so much more experience, and they're just so much meaner than PSG to allow this to slip away from them. Um, I thought they were outstanding in in the first half. In the second half, they were still good. I was a bit maybe disappointed uh, that, 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 that that Max Allegri decided to sit back a bit, although I understand why, but I think if he had maybe um, uh, just kind of like pressed maybe... Uh, 30 minutes more he might have even gotten a fourth goal but yeah I think I think there's absolutely no way that Juventus are going are to let this go they have the quality of the defenders to hold on um, and as I said you know the, you have to beat the likes of you have to get past the likes of Bonucci Basali and Chiellini and if you do get past them, well, then you need to beat Gianluigi Buffon which is uh, which is no small feat whatsoever yeah, Nick, do you want to add anything before we wrap up on Juve? Yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not, probably not going to give anything unique to what Ogo said there. Just I, it, you can't really can't see it. If it, I mean, on one hand, you would say if there's any club in the world that could come back from that, it would be Barcelona, if not maybe Real Madrid. But against Juventus, it's just I can't see it happening. I mean, the, even though in the in the first leg the possession was you know strongly what, the 35% or whatever it was for Juventus. I mean, I'm, I'm sure they were quite happy to have 20% in this match, you know, probably an exaggeration, but they could get the job done by very much just sitting back. Um, I, you know, everything I've said, really, the, the experience in that back line. And the thing is that Barcelona are going to be attacking. And if Juve have shown anything in the last, you know, couple months, it's that they are, particularly their form at the moment, they are... Cl- 
clinical, so clinical, the likes of Dybala and Higuain. And if they, on the break, just get one goal, Barcelona all of a sudden needs five goals. And, you know, the Barcelona defence hasn't been that um, impressive at all. So I see Juve scoring at least one. Um, and I Nick, just, just to jump in, we've had a comment from Mr. Zuma again. He wants to know, would you keep with the 4-2-3-1 or go to three at the back? For Juventus? Yes. Yeah, yeah, 100%. There's, um, I mean, that's the... That's the formation that Allegri's used for pretty much all of 2017, maybe with one match in of an exception um, away to Barcelona. There's, you know, there's no reason why they should go back to the three-man defence. It's working for them. Um, and I should say, particularly that four-two-three-one. If the, the biggest benefit to that has been um, Mario Mandzukic, who we've spoken about, but he probably a figure, again, in that Barcelona match who wouldn't get any of the headlines, but it just worked incredibly hard down that wing, both going back in defence, but then also providing that option out wide in attack. And it was out wide in attack that Juventus was able to stretch out Barca's defence and allow the likes of Paulo Dybala the space in the box to do exactly what, um, you know, his job was. And he did it to a perfect so amount. So, um, yeah, um, there's no reason to change. Yeah, we're yeah, both I think, I think, honestly, I can't if I may just interject here very quickly. If Juventus somehow contrive to find a way to get eliminated out of this, like, I, I will pay your uh, your bill at the pub when you celebrate <laughs> your uh, Atalanta in, in Euro party. <laughs> I will take care of it. I'm going to take note of that and the time of the <laughs> podcast you said it. And I'll be knocking on your door on Thursday morning, maybe. Um, right, guys, that'll do it. Ogo, it's been great having you back on. Um, firstly, thanks to everyone who was watching live. It's the biggest live viewer figure we've had. Um, thanks to everyone who's been getting involved in the comments. Uh, join us again next week, same time. And download it, listen to us on iTunes, Acast, subscribe. Leave us reviews. And Ogo, we spoke about Nick's articles. You'll be writing a weekly Milan feature for us as well. So just let the listeners know where they can get you on Twitter and whatever else. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, unfortunately, I, I was uh, I had uh, I had some internet issues that I was not able to to get mine in for for the derby, unfortunately. But yeah, uh, I'll be uh, on Twitter at uh, ogo underscore silla, uh, so you can uh, hit me up there. And obviously, uh, uh, for all my uh, future uh, weekly uh, Milan uh, Milan thoughts on Mondays at uh, forzaitalianfootball.com. And Nick, I won't ask you to shout out your Twitter because we know how that went last time, but. Give us a YouTube and Patreon roundup, please. Okay. Um, obviously, as we just discussed, the second leg of Juve versus Barcelona is coming up on Wednesday. So we'll have a preview out there for that tomorrow, um, looking at all the form, the formations, some of what we've discussed, but I'll try and go a bit further into that. Um, we possibly might even have a reaction after the match and then there's the draw that will come up for the next um for the next round and you know if like we um i guess predicting juventus go through i'm sure we'll do a reaction to the to the european draw to see who juventus might be playing not to get ahead of ourselves but um and yeah we you know there's always more content coming um i'll be putting some stuff up from the milan derby as well just some of the atmosphere some of the um, sounds and sights from the crowd so 
lots of content going up. We've been doing a lot, um, both ourselves and in Italy. So keep a lookout for that. And um, if you'd like to support what we're doing, please feel free to go on our Patreon page. We're um, giving small things away for um, for supporting us in any small amount. So have a look and anything is very much appreciated. Yeah, absolutely. If you have a spare dollar or two, be sure to send it our way. That's patreon.com forward slash Forza Italian Football. Um, until then, you can get us on Facebook at Forza Italian Football, on Twitter at Serie FFC. I'm at Concalcio and that's pretty much it for now. So until next time, it's ciao for now.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.